Well, good morning, everyone. Grab your lollipops, sit on your seats, and do a whole one, yeah. It might make more sense. I hope you're all enjoying this, uh, this lovely weather we've got outside. Hope you've all got your Factor 50 sunscreen on. Quick public health message there. Chris, do you wear your Factor 50? Yeah, that's why he looks so healthy, you see. Um, so we're continuing, as uh, Sally said earlier, uh, our series in the Book of Acts. And last week, um, we weren't here, but I did listen to John. Um, I do catch up with uh, uh, the sermons that we missed, but it's particularly important for me for this week because actually I'm following on the same story. It's part, what I thought was part two of this particular story between Peter and Cornelius. But of course, actually, if you read into the next chapter in Acts, Acts 11, you find that there's something in chapter 11 about this, which Mike is going to be touching on next week. So it's actually almost a three-part series, mini-series in the book of Acts. And uh, I'll just, not everybody might have either caught up with what John said last week or was here. So I'll, I do want to just highlight some of the things that John covered last week. But I want to start with a quiz. So grab the next slide, slide please, uh, Nikki. So, ladies of a certain age will now be, if not exactly beside themselves, uh, beside their husbands, of course. <laughs> so, question number one, who is this actor? Colin Firth. Colin Firth, yeah, do you know, that's got the biggest response that we've had here for ages in here. What is the character he is playing, Mr. Dacia? And which is the book that this appears in? Pride and Prejudice. And who wrote the book? Dear, oh dear me. <laughs> Maria said to Jill, you better be here uh, today because you, know, you, you might be the only one who knows the answer to all of those sorts of things. I said, not a chance. There'll be loads of female voices shouting out. So when was the film made? 1995. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm seriously impressed. That is incredible. I've just got to say, I have a linen shirt very like this and like that, which I was going to wear, but I didn't want to put into shame, really. That was uh, to put him in, in, in the shadows a little bit. So Pride and Prejudice, a book about family intrigue, about preconceived ideas, a book that was about how people tried to position themselves socially at the time to better themselves, um, and when I was preparing for this, I thought, there is a bit of pride and prejudice in the first part of, of Acts chapter 10, which John covered last week. And Peter was struggling a little bit with, hang on a minute, I'm being shown something that is against what I believe, what I fundamentally have been brought up to understand, is the truth of what God was doing in our hearts and in the minds of people. So the good news about pride and prejudice, after a whole load of angst, and falling into lakes and coming out with water-ridden shirts, um, there is a happy ending at the end. And there is a good ending to this story as well. So I didn't want to labor the point, but I did think actually it was just an interesting way of saying, you know, Peter, as we'll come to look at uh, in a moment or two, is a man just like us. I mean, just like you women, but you, you know what I'm saying. He's a person, he's a human being that has struggles that God has to deal with and God has to change 
his attitude. And even though those, those attitudes might he felt have been God-inspired in the first place, quite challenging. Now, like Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, things work out in the end. And we know from the story as well that it works out well for Peter. And actually, not just for Peter. We are sat here this morning as a direct consequence of what happened in Acts chapter 10. That's the strength of the link between what we're looking at today. And I think John mentioned last week that, you know, there are shorter passages of Scripture, shorter the number of verses, used to describe incredible miracles, etc. But, there's a, you know, there's a lot of verses that, are, that Luke gives to this, this particular account. And as we look through last week, and we will this week and next week, we'll see just exactly why that's the case. So last week, uh, if we just have the first slide back, because I don't want you just looking at uh, Mr. Darcy all of the time. I want you now to look, if not look at me, listen to what, uh, uh, what's being said. So John started us off last week, and there were a number of people, two people in the story, really, particularly. One was Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. We read he was God-fearing. He prayed a lot. He gave to the poor. There must have been something about the Jewish faith that had touched his heart, So he was interested in connecting with the God of the Jewish people. And and as a consequence of that, God spoke to him. That's amazing, isn't it? He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Jew. He was approaching God regularly, serving him in the way he could. And God spoke directly to him. And it says he distinctly saw an angel of God. Echoes of Mary, God choosing different ways to speak to different people. There's echoes of that. There's echoes of Pentecost. There's echoes of all sorts of things in this chapter, which just looks like an interesting story, but is absolutely laden with really important uh, biblical truth. And he's told by God to call for a guy called Peter, who was in Joppa. And of course, we met Peter last week in the context of this story, who was praying. He was in, uh, he wasn't, you know, Cornelius was in Caesarea and Peter was in Joppa, as John was mentioned last week. Peter was also praying. It was the afternoon, he was up, hope he had his sunscreen on. He was on the roof and he was praying. And he became hungry. Now, Who's heard of Meals on Wheels? Yeah, a long time ago, wasn't it? We don't hear about Meals on Wheels so much now, but we do hear about Deliveroo and Just Eat and Uber Eats. And I mean, there's all sorts of people wanting to deliver food to your door. And this was God's opportunity to predate all of those Deliveroo things. He just showed Peter where he was, a big blanket of food, brought it right to his rooftop. Perfect Deliveroo technique. And God lowered a blanket full of food, some of which Peter would have, well, he recognized all of it, some of which he would have been very happy to eat, and some of which he would find utterly detestable. Now, when I mean detestable, I don't mean Brussels sprouts, or tripe, or snails and garlic, you know. Or... 
or anything like that. Not something, you know, God wasn't, Jesus wasn't acting as Peter's dietitian, just advising him what's good for him to eat. And the very fact that those unclean, as in Jews were not allowed to eat, and clean, they were allowed to eat, were in the same blanket, meant that all the clean things that they, he could have eaten had become unclean. So this for Peter was quite a shocking image because if he had become unclean by touching any of those things, he would have to then have uh, performed certain sacrifices and made himself clean again before he could interact with other Orthodox Jews and certainly before he could have gone, for example, to the synagogue. So he would have been unclean, uh, cast out until he made himself whole again, clean again, ceremonially acceptable before he could re-engage with his own community. But I also thought it was really interesting that Jesus says to him, well, what, sorry, what Jesus doesn't say to Peter is, what do you think I'm showing you? It wasn't a quiz like Mr. Darcy. He didn't say, "Mm, what do you think I'm trying to tell you in this image, in this vision? No, he said to Peter, get up, kill and eat. It's very, it's almost very strong, isn't it? It's very, um, it's not just, it's not clean. God wasn't telling him to do something clean and clinical and precise. He was telling Peter to actually physically touch and get a hold of animals with Jew. And so God was, Jesus was clearly saying to Peter, I've got something really shocking that you need to understand. But don't you just love Peter? He's just the same. He's the same when we first met him. He's the same throughout. He's always got a challenging question. He had challenging questions all the way through his relationship with Jesus when Jesus was on earth. You remember the transfiguration? He, you know, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Peter said, you're not doing mine. You can forget it. Don't even think about that. You know, I'm just not worthy. Stop it. You know, he went and cut off the high priest's servant's ear to defend Jesus. He was always, he was fed up with a really bad day's fishing and grumbled at the fact that Jesus said, come on, Peter, we're going fishing again. Oh, Lord, no. Have you not seen what we've done? Nothing all day. He was just a guy, as we've said before, honest, straightforward Yorkshireman. So he just is what he is. But to his credit, he gets the message really quickly. Because at the same time as Jesus was giving Peter this vision, showing Peter this vision, Cornelius' envoy, his servants, were practically at the door downstairs. So you just, for a second, put yourself in Peter's position. You've held a particular view as being the correct view, God's view, for all of your life. And you're given probably five minutes to change it completely. And not only change it completely, act completely differently as a consequence. Because very quickly afterwards, he says, there's going to be a knock at the door and there are going to be two people and they're going to be Gentiles. He was in a Jewish household. But to be fair to Peter, he understood very quickly. And what he did is when he went down and met these two people, he invited them into the house. Now for a Jew, 
that would not have been acceptable. He would, he would have understood, and so of all the Jews in the same house in Joppa, that by inviting those two people in, they would become unclean. Because for an Orthodox Jew, you would not be in contact in the same house with a Gentile. So despite his brusque approach to pretty much everything in life, you've got to say, well, well done you. I mean, you've not just heard God being clear about what God was saying, you've changed your attitude and your behavior change followed immediately to the point that you welcome these people into your home. I think that's incredible. F.F. Bruce um, uh, wrote a commentary on Acts and he says this about that. He said, no doubt some of Peter's inherited prejudices were wearing thin by this time. So that means he was becoming more like Jesus in his thinking. But a special revelation was still necessary to make him consent to visit a Gentile. I thought that summed it up perfectly. But that's a testimony not just to, to Peter, it's a testimony to the, the grace of God working in his life. So that's, um, that's the background, that's just kind of covering some of what John said. Now we're gonna just look at the text. It is a, a bit of a passage, uh, but it is important. So we've reached the point where Peter's invited them in and they're about to set off on the journey to see Cornelius. So the next day, so not only were they invited in, they must have stayed the night, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. I tried a Yorkshire accent last time, so it's something cross between Welsh and Pakistani, so I'm not going to do that again. So, Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for... I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the, country, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day 
and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What a great story, isn't it? What an amazing, just reading it through just makes you think, God, you're so good. You're so gracious. Lord, let, let's see more of that. Let's see more of that divine intervention. Let's see more of the things happening just beyond our expectation. So I just want to, if you go back to the first, thanks. I think that's great. So just a few things to pick up uh, from these slides. Look at um, the first verse was uh, 23. Um, just before that, it says, Peter took some colleagues with him. This was, this was wise. And actually, do you know what? God works with us in family. He doesn't work with us as individuals. He sent the disciples out two by two. And in those days, people traveled together. There was a safety reason for doing so, uh, an obvious one. But also, the gospel was expanding. It was important. Um, you know, we look back at it from our position here, don't we? We look back at it from our understanding. But they were developing church on the hoof. They were developing theology revealed by God on the hoof. They didn't have the New Testament to refer back to as an anchor point. The church was expanding in all sorts of different ways. There were different flavors to different churches depending on the communities in which the kingdom of God emerged and, and, and sprung up in. And as we see, as I mentioned later, and Michael cover next week, when Peter went back, um, there were some so Jewish Christians in Judea, Judea saying, what on earth have you been doing? What is going on? Well, if Peter had been on his own, he would have just had his testimony be took a, a, a you know, band of brothers with him. So there was a witness to what had actually taken place. And that was really, really important and very sensible. And there's not just Acts chapter 11, if you're interested, you can read Acts chapter 15, which covers a lot of the issues that arose from the gospel being accepted by uh, people who were not of a Jewish origin. Verse 25, we see Cornelius falling at Peter's feet. It's funny, isn't it? We love heroes, don't we? we there's something in us that just responds to, aren't they great, and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, I mean, Chris was saying, all, you know, all the people who stand and spout at the front, I mean, my words, not his, compared to the, the, the car park attendants, do you know what? We're all equally important. Paul is very clear about that in the book of Corinthians about using the body as an analogy of the kingdom of God and his family. We have different functions. None of them are more important than any other. And we just need to feel that and know that to be true. 
But anyway, Cornelius felt the need as a Roman centurion in front of his family and close, close friends to fall at Peter's feet because he recognized there was something. Now, Peter, of course, wasn't having that. He said, come on, stand up. So you think, Peter, well done. He just said, come on, Cornelius, I'm a man just like you. But then he walks in, reads, to this, the room with Cornelius' family and friends and basically says, as an opening introduction, not, hi, my name's Peter, I've been in Joppa, it's lovely to meet you. He said, you're all filthy and you're making me unclean. I mean, not quite the way to win friends and influence people. Just said, now then, you need to understand this is a problem for me being here. However... Of course, God led me. I'm here because God spoke to me. And so Peter starts to speak. And we read the summary of that and that amazing verse 44. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Tremendous, isn't it? So... Either God thought, oh, Peter, you've gone on long enough, here you go, bang. <laughs> and I'm sure you've probably thought about a lot of people who stand up in front here and say, when on earth are they finishing, you know? We might think, I want a cup of tea. Probably should just say, come Holy Spirit, and, and uh, <laughs> we'll just stop dead there. Peter hadn't even got to the end of what he wanted to say. He hadn't got the band up to play some lovely worshipful music in the background. God just came into the room, baptizing those who were listening in his Holy Spirit. And of course, this reminds you of which passage in Acts? Pentecost. And that's why this particular passage of Scripture is often referred to as the, the Pentecost of the, uh, of the Gentile, Gentile Pentecost. When we read of Pentecost and Peter's first sermon, it was predominantly to Jews, to Orthodox Israeli Jews and those who had moved into other parts of the world came back for the feast. So Peter was by and large addressing people from the Jewish community. This was a completely different setting. Gentiles, non-Jews. And the growth of the church up until this point was predominantly amongst the Jewish people. It wasn't beyond that. And we'll touch on the fact that what was Jesus' great commission? Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. So right here, we're seeing that early fulfillment of the first bit of the understanding of what the kingdom of God is actually all about. No doubt, uh, they would have been very struck, Peter and his friends, as it says, by what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit was in Cornelius's front room, being identical to their experience in the past. So the authenticity of God working in that particular context was just so clear to them because they couldn't deny it. They couldn't pretend it was something else because they just have to look and say, that's exactly the same as my experience. And of course, I just wondered about, um, you know, Peter's struggle to move from you know, or not perhaps struggle, or, but he's, you know, he's, he's, a bit, he's wrestled with God to move from his previous position to his new position. And I kind of felt it was almost like being hidden in plain sight because um, 
Have you had the, ever had the experience where you don't think you've ever seen anything and then you see something the first time and then you keep on seeing it after that point? I used to drive a lot up to Durham where the office was. And I remember someone saying uh, once, oh, have you seen the new Ford Fiesta? I think it was a Ford Fiesta. And I said, no, I don't think I've, I've seen that. Um, oh, really nice, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then on the way home that night, I saw one. And then for the next four days, it was like there wasn't any other car on the road except the new Ford Fiestas. Now, had they not been there before? No, they'd been there before. It's just I hadn't seen them. And the fact that the gospel was going to go to those beyond the Jewish community is an incredibly strong prophetic theme right the way throughout the Old Testament. It was there all of the time, but the understanding of it was only being revealed to Peter. There's the most amazing verse in Isaiah 49, which is part of the passage which we talk about, the servant passages looking towards Jesus. It says this, it says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, I find that so powerful. I mean, just moving. So clear and understanding, prophetic word of what the kingdom of God really is. It's incredible. It's beautiful. I hope you can feel it. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, God is saying to Isaiah, he is going to be like this. And the church happens, and Peter is, is nudged by God to understand that. And all of a sudden, this is what happens in Cornelius's front room. The bursting out of the kingdom of God from its purely Hebrew Jewish background happened in someone's front room. It paved the way for apostles like Paul and Barnabas and others to devote their whole ministry to planting churches in Gentile communities. It happened in a front room because of the obedience of two men and the power, sovereign power of God coming on them. It's incredible, isn't it? It's just absolutely wonderful. It just makes you worship, it makes you humble, it makes you just pray, God, just do more of that. But of course, we would say, Lord, come. But the challenge to me was, yeah, I need to be more obedient first. So just want to say four things as we, as we work towards a close on this. Um, so if we just nip through, Nikki, sorry, I've probably not helped you there. And again, to the transformation one and the next one. Oh, and the next one. Flipping heck, how many are there? And the next one. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. So four things. First, of the, first is this. And I felt God was saying to highlight to us from this, this passage. What's the story about? It's about lots of things, but partly it's about transformation. Peter's attitude was completely transformed. It wasn't just slightly modified. It wasn't, oh, I'm, I'm struggling with this. God, I know you told me something. I'm really having a hard time. No, he accepted it. He moved on, completely changed his attitude. And within 24 hours, 
um, he'd done something that, you know, in obedience had transformed what God was doing. Cornelius and his family and his close friends were transformed. I wonder what they must have thought when it happened. It was not new news to Peter and his friends because they'd seen it, they'd been living in that. Perhaps Cornelius had ex- uh, and his family had experienced some of that, looking at Christian communities or Jewish communities working in and around Caesarea. I don't know. Perhaps that wasn't the church wasn't there at that point in time. But something which happened at Pentecost with Peter and the disciples happened here, and it must have been incredible, probably a bit scary, but incredibly joyful. They were transformed. And we, as I said before, we stand today in the good of what is described in Acts chapter 10. If at that point God had not revealed that to Peter or at some other point, you know, salvation in the kingdom of God would still have been a Jewish-related issue in the world. But going back to Isaiah 49, he was, Jesus was also a light to the Gentiles as he was for the Jews. So this is a passage about transformation. Secondly, next slide, it's about obedience. The transformation that took place in this passage would not have been possible without the obedience of Cornelius and Peter. Now, okay, I'll come on to sovereignty in a second. We say, oh, well, God could have done it in a different way. He could have done and would have done, I'm sure, because it's clear throughout Scripture that the kingdom of God was for all people, not just the Jews. But the fact of the matter was, he found two people who were prepared to be obedient, even though that obedience might, um, uh, might be challenging. But also, did you notice that God spoke to Cornelius while he was praying? God spoke to Peter while he was praying, while he was spending time. I've just been reading through Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians recently, and verse 2 Corinthians says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformation and obedience seems to me to come together hand in hand. Unless there's a complete sovereign act of God in, in different circumstances, which clearly he can do, but predominantly he's looking to us to be an obedient people. Next slide, please. Third, sovereignty. You know, God is in control of his plans. Um, Paul Simon in 1977 wrote a song called Slip Sliding Away. I don't know how many people might know that song, but right now the little chorus is going through your head. There's a lyric in that song that says this, God only knows God makes his plan. The information's unavailable to the mortal man. Well, Paul, you're wrong. His sovereign information is available to every mortal man. God is sovereign. And we must always remember that the kingdom of God is actually the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of kings. And it's definitely not the kingdom of my opinion. It's not even the kingdom of my limited understanding. 
It's his kingdom. We are engaged with him. I was just thinking about the Lord's Prayer recently as well. Um, Do you know, it is the most incredible few verses in Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. If you just give yourself to, I mean, the truth expressed in so few words is enough to keep you fed for a whole lifetime. And it says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, how uncomplicated is that? Let's just say that, shall we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's just say it again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is sovereign. It's him. He is the one. Do you know what we are a funny mixture of being incredibly important to him and yet totally insignificant at the same time. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? We're dust. The Bible says that. Here today, gone tomorrow. In the great span of time. And yet God pours his grace and love and forgiveness into our lives. Just an amazing thing. So obedience, um, transformation, obedience, sovereignty, and the last one is this, co-working. I know that's a a bit of a kind of modern-y, jargon-y sort of word, isn't it? Um, God worked through Cornelius, and he worked through Peter, and then sovereignly he moved. That's exactly how he wants us. Jesus worked with his disciples. He trained his disciples. He worked into them and worked with them so then they could be effective in being his co-workers in the kingdom. We are his hands and his feet. It's often said, isn't it? Where his eyes, his ears, where his beating heart to those around us. 99.9999999% of the time, God will speak to others, reach out to others through you and me. God has his plan. The information is available to the mortal man. The information is the church being Jesus to the world. It's you and me, which is why it's so important. One, that we work together. And by and large, we try and get on with each other, love each other as God has loved us in all our quirks and uh, idiosyncrasies. But God wants us to be his family so that his family will grow and grow and grow and grow. We need our eyes open at all times, like Cornelius and Peter. We need to be spending time with him. That's the only way we can be refreshed. And I know Mike will cover this uh, next week, but... And in Acts chapter 11, while Peter, when Peter has to explain his actions, they go through it and he comes up with this amazingly great Yorkshire statement at the end in verse 17. So he said, if God gave them, that is Cornelius and his family and friends, the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? End of story. In other words, listen, God's working. God is who he is. I might have questions 
I might want to have a bit of an argument. And you know what? God's big enough for that. He can cope with that. But when push comes to shove, he is God. (laughs) And Peter was able to recognize that. So I just want to close. I was just thinking and praying finally this morning. Um, been thinking recently a bit, you know, we, in the newsletter, the people who are seriously ill, and you, see, you just you think, don't you? Think, why is that happening? Why is this? You know, people express things in different ways, and why does this take place? And um, and I felt God say to me, "You need to take a leaf out of Peter's book." And I think by that, what he meant was, what he really, it's, it's good to talk, don't get me wrong, but what he really wants from us is an honesty in our relationship with him. So if we're unaware and not sure, it's okay. He wants us to talk to him about it. He wants us, a bit like Peter, to wrestle with him a little bit sometimes. He doesn't want us always to be expressing our opinions and our views and our uncertainties and our hopes and our fears and our aspirations and our desires to other people. All of those things are good. But what he wants to do primarily is have that, have that relationship with us, or more particularly us having that relationship with him that takes it to him, first and foremost. Not second or third or after counselling, but first and foremost. So I'm just going to leave it there. Um, John's going to come up. and just going just to just spend a moment just having a think through. It would have been so easy to have jumped on this text and say, and God came by the power of his Holy Spirit and into that room. And it's true. But there was all sorts of other things that if we, that I think we felt, I felt, felt God urging me to, to share with you to understand that that's, that happened as a consequence of a whole load of other things. And it's those other things that we need to grasp a hold of as well. I need to, sorry, not just you, if I'm speaking personally. Taking a leaf out of Peter's book. Having a good arm wrestle with God, but you're not changing quickly and being obedient even quicker when that comes. So let's just, just, just pray for a sec. And, um... I'm just going to leave it for a moment just to have a think about that. One, you might just want to thank God for his amazing gift of his kingdom. The way in which he is inclusive of everyone. His plan, even when we don't understand it, is still his plan. You ought to think about transformation or obedience or just the sovereignty of God, just to worship him secondly in your heart.